uh, our hearts full of gratitude for uh, the redeeming love of Christ and thankful for that ministry tonight. Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Ephesians and chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 in our Bibles tonight. If you are with us last week, I trust you will remember that chapters 1 through 3 of this book declare what God the Father um, has been doing and is continuing to do. What he is doing by Christ, remember he is doing through the church, and he is doing for that repeatedly stated ultimate purpose of, of the praising of his own glory, of the radiant display of his unique excellence. And with chapter 4, verse 1, it seizes on that commission, that, that goal, that objective, that purpose of the church. And chapter 4, verse 1 says, I exhort you, therefore, to walk worthy, to conduct yourself in keeping with that mission. And as a church, the way we walk is either going to contribute to or detract from God's purpose to glorify himself and, and radiate his unique excellence. And so conduct that contributes to the glorification of God is the second half of this book of Ephesians. And we're still in that context of, of walking worthy, um, conduct that glorifies God when we get to Ephesians 5. And if you'll just come down to verse number 18, the focus that here is now on activities which involve a yielded relationship to who? Be not drunk with wine, where is an excess, but be filled with, be filled with the Spirit. And that relationship of walking under the influence of the Spirit is going to be seen in verse number 22 in the way that wives relate to their husbands. And in verse number 25, in the way that husbands relate to their wives. And then chapter 6, verse 1, children to their parents. And chapter 6, verse 4, fathers to their children. And my reason for drawing our attention once again tonight to the context is just to remind us that doing right in in our families, doing right in our marriages, doing right in the parent-child relationship is not simply a matter of having a happier home life, right? This is not in the Bible to tell us how to have a happy home, right? Um, this is primarily a matter of glorifying God in our marriages and in our relationships in the home. Uh, when we get to the section tonight, as we're going to, where we start to explore um, conduct in regards to marriage, I'll, I'll in particular just highlight this, and, and this is not just a burden for a message like this, but this is a burden that has come out over the years in, in marital counseling. No spouse should look at a passage like the one we're going to look at tonight as a prescription of what my spouse owes me. And in, this is one of the real dangers, it's one of the vulnerabilities I found in, in counseling couples together, is invariably if there's been some difficulty, they've come together, and uh, you know they're wanting help, 
But as I'm communicating scripturally responsibilities that are given to the husband, the wife is sitting there thinking about, yeah, he needs it. Well, and if he would just get his act together, okay, and, and sometimes I'm sitting there and I'm communicating and burdened and, and pointing to things that, that the scripture calls on for a wife and a husband is sitting there thinking about, yeah, pastor, my wife has never been anywhere close to that. And I I counseled a couple, and uh, there were needs. Um, Honestly, like in the the broader context, um, the wife appeared to be much more lacking just in terms of, uh, of thinking about the scripture and caring to honor it. But, um, you know, we finished some counseling, and the next time I saw the husband, um, the husband said to me, Pastor, I'm telling you, my wife is not doing a single thing you counseled us, and she is nowhere close to a Proverbs 31 woman. And I actually said to her, if you're, I said to him, if you're talking to her like that at all, you're using the Bible not as a tool to help build that marriage, you're using the Bible as a club. To just let your wife have it. And there, there's not going to be any gain come out of that. And, and when we get to a passage like this, just, just preaching through it, even without the counseling backdrop, I would just say that no one ought to be sitting here thinking about what my, what my spouse really needs to hear. We ought to be thinking about what kind of conduct on my part in the marriage, in the home, contributes to the glorification of God. Same thing will be true when we get to the parent-child relationship. Boy, if my kids would just believe God and do right. Or, you know what? If my parents would get straight, I would have a much better chance. No, the reality is we'll see that all the way along the way. It's actually the needs in spouses. It's the needs in our children. It's the need, needs in our parents that actually give us the opportunity to really, as it were, prove the grace of God and the power of the Spirit of God and watch Him do a work that ends up being to the glory of God. And that's where the focus all of us needs to be. That's not just counsel. That's right out of the flow of the context of the book of Ephesians. So my motive to listening carefully to what God has to say about my roles and obligations in the home must be because my desire is to glorify God. And with that in mind tonight, as we just start to walk through in the order of the text, we introduced last week families in the battle for the glory of God. We've seen that God's, God's purpose is that we be to the praise of his glory. On the other side of this teaching, remember, is put on the armor and pray like you're in a war because you are. And the battle is about the glory of God. But when we turn tonight to, to just kind of explore again, um, activities on the part of believers that contribute to the to the glory of God. We're going to start where the where the passage starts. Verse twenty one says, "Submit yourselves one to another in the fear of God." And then the first particular exhortation that is given is in verse twenty two, and that is to wives. And so we just want to ask tonight, what kind of activity on the part of a Christian wife glorifies God? What kind of activity on the part of a Christian wife displays the influence of the Spirit of God at work? And, in this case, 
The primary activity under discussion is the second word. Right? First word is wives, and the second word is what? It's submit. Alright, now let's just talk about that term. The, the, this Greek term that is translated submit or be subject is the term hupotasso. Okay? Tasso was a word that in the classical Greek literature was used in a military context primarily. That's not the only one, but it was used there often. And it described kind of getting in order for battle. So it might be getting, getting men in order, in position, or getting the ships in order, <clears throat> getting other, other pieces of the armory in order. And then hupo is a Greek preposition which means under. All right, so hupotasso, again, in, in the Greek of the day, meant to get under. And it really had the idea in the military context of getting under the direction of a commanding officer. Getting under the direction of a commanding officer. Now, <clears throat> wives, submit. How's that feel? How's that sound in our day? <laughs> okay. Um, I, I'm pausing to just say that sounds so outdated. It sounds particularly hard on women and restrictive and so on. And sure, it's easy for you to say because you're a husband, right? An analogy I, I read years ago seems worth mentioning at this point. It was in this whole context of, of women wanting to be independent, wanting to be free from having to submit. And a seasoned pastor wrote, There are sensations of unbounded independence that are not true freedom because they deny the truth and are destined for calamity. For example, two women may jump from an airplane and experience the thrilling freedom of free-falling. But there is a difference. One is encumbered by a parachute on her back. The other is free from this burden. Are you getting the picture? Which person is most free? The one with the parachute fill... Uh, the one without the parachute feels free, even freer, since she does not feel the constraints of the parachute straps. But she's not truly free. She's in bondage to the source of, to the force of gravity and to the deception that all is well because she feels unencumbered. I'm guessing that she's not real deceived about that in the, in the true scenario, but jump out and how free I feel! No parachute on my back. No burden at all. But he says it's a false sense of freedom and is in fact bondage to calamity which is sure to happen after a fleeting moment of pleasure. That's the way many women and men today think of freedom. They judge it on the basis of immediate sensations of unrestrained license and independence. But true freedom takes God's reality and God's purpose for creation into account and seeks to fit smoothly into God's good design. That's the whole extended paragraph. And brethren, I would just say about all of us, it may be that, that a woman 
um, wants to be free from having to submit, it may be that a man doesn't want to have the responsibilities of being a husband and father. <clears throat> it may be that children just can't wait till I get free of my home. Now, you know the old story. <clears throat> I, I can't wait to get free from my home. I'm going to the military, right? Um, <clears throat> then I have all independence. And the kinds of things that we do to make ourselves feel free but it doesn't matter at what level we are in any part of uh, in any aspect of the relationship. When we free ourselves from God's restrictions, we're actually in bondage to a calamity that is much greater than anything that God would call on us to do. And so we want to explore this tonight. And notice, first of all, about the submission wives submit. But notice that the object of submission is to your own husband. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. And that, that should seem to be pretty obvious. I, I would just say that in light of the flow from verse 21, where we're told all of us to submit yourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord, I think this statement, submit yourselves to your own husbands, in verse 22, is, is, is primarily for the sake of drawing attention to that particular focus. You wives that have a husband, now, while we all have to submit to one another, in particular, there's a submission appropriate to your husband. There's a variety of ways we need to yield to one another, but again, the special target of a wife's submission is to her husband. I do think, though, it's worth noting that this expression, your own, notice, submit yourselves unto your own husbands, that is from the Greek word for idios. I know I've said this before when we had a, a teaching on the home, but uh, please, wives, don't think, yeah, my idiot husband when I hear that, okay? <clears throat> um, your, your idios, okay, husband, is not your idiot husband. It, it's really more of the idea of idiosyncrasies. You know what those are, right? Certain people in your family laugh a certain way. You don't even have to be in the same room. You hear the laugh and you know whose laugh it is, right? Or you know their cough or the way they clear their throat. Or some people, you can hear them walking, and you know a distinctive walk and the sound that they make. Those are idiosyncrasies, and, and we could go on at some length. Okay? But what this is saying is, an idiosyncrasy is something that's uniquely you. right? And, and ladies, what the Bible is teaching is really that you have a one-of-a-kind husband. <laughs> and you have a husband that is uniquely your own. And the relationship that God intends for you to have with that husband and the obligation even that you have to your husband is like no other relationship on earth. And, and, and you're, not to, you're not to go around your husband to get to your dad, to get to your pastor, to get to any other man and, and take their counsel as a substitute for your husband? Um, your, your primary reference point in, in all sorts of decision-making are, are not all your lady friends, your girlfriends in that sense, even you know your siblings, your mom, your whoever. The primary reference point for you as you're operating under the influence of the Spirit of God for the glory of God is your own husband, your unique, one-of-a-kind husband. 
And another truth that that just really helps us to underscore is while ladies should profit from mentors, while ladies should profit from good examples, certainly that is true. No other lady is married to your husband. Okay? So no other lady is going to be the exact pattern for what is really going to be the fit and the correspondence for your husband. And what God wants you to do is really, by his grace, learn your husband and trust him about being the exact fit for your unique husband that God would have you to be. That's the target of your submission. And then notice, right in this same verse, that the motive of a wife's submission is to honor the Lord. That's in that last phrase of verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. And, and the thrust of this ex- exhortation is to do it as honoring the Lord. It, unto the Lord doesn't mean that, that your husband has become the Lord to you or that you should treat him as the Lord. Okay? What it means is that your submission to your husband really should arrive out of the recognition, this is the Lord's will. This is pleasing to the Lord. And he gives some explanation for that. You can see verse 23, it starts with four. And so that, that word connects us. The thoughts are connected. Submit yourself to your own husbands. This is honoring the Lord because, verse 23, the husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church. The Lord ordained your husband to be your head, just like he ordained Christ to be the head of the church. Now, this isn't elaborated on here, but it is actually argued for in other, other scriptural texts from the very order of creation. For instance, in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul exhorts women to minister under male headship and then he says because man was first created then woman and because woman was taken out of man he's going to say something similar in first timothy chapter 2 he's going to go back again and again to even god's created order is a witness to this the very fact that woman was made to be a helper who was fitting for the man is an indication that her role is that of complementing man. So by the order of creation, by the very purpose of the institution of marriage, God has made the husband to be the head of the wife. And this is one reason why a woman who submits to her husband is honoring the Lord. But you can see a second reason in this verse is because God has also ordained the husband to be the wife's protector. Notice the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. All right, now, there's no way that, a, that any man, including a husband, can be a savior in the way that, that Jesus Christ is of the church. All right, he is the one and only unique savior from sin. In all aspects, he's the savior from its penalty and its presence and its power. Okay? And no man can save anyone, including his wife, in that sense. But the term savior, even in the Bible, doesn't always have reference to, um, to saving from sin. Sometimes a savior is 
is a protector and even a preserver, one that looks after and, and cares for the well-being of another in a special way. And, and ladies, those of you that are married, God intends to meet your needs through your husband. And when you get out of order, you, you take yourself out of the flow of nourishment and care that God intends to provide for you. But if you will believe God about this, he will meet the needs that you have through your husband. And I just I do want to encourage you that you you don't have to. And I know I know homes are different in terms of the rhythm and, you know, who writes checks and who pays bills and, and all of that. And I know there's different interactions and in, in, in all that. But but in terms of taking leadership, okay, ladies, you really don't have to take the decision making um, leadership about the finances into your hands or or the children's education or children's discipline or any other aspect of of their care into your hands and again i'm at a place now where where some of what i'm communicating i i have just seen in council now for decades but but and and i'm not denying a, appeal and communication and partnership all of that's right in right in God's definition for marriage as we saw last Sunday night. But I will say this, every time I have seen a wife that is just convinced that her husband's not seeing it straight, he doesn't know enough about the kids, he's not on top of it, he's not doing right, and she just persists and, and as it were, you know, kind of throws her weight around with her husband and pushes and prods and digs in. They take themselves out from under the husband's protection, and not only out from under the husband's protection, but out from a primary channel of God's grace in the life. The Lord intends to use your husband to meet your needs. And he argues for that. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord honor the lord about this this is his design honor the lord about this by trusting god to do <laughs> even what you may be struggling to trust your you know your your faulty and uh, and and frail husband uh, your your husband that's a jar of clay an earthen vessel trust god to display his power even through that imperfect uh, husband and in verse uh, number uh, 24, we see another aspect of this development. And you can see that not only is your husband the object, and the motivation is that it honors the Lord, but in verse 24, the pattern for your submission is the church. And you would think that maybe <clears throat> enough has been said, but he does Underscore it, verse 24, Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. And if I just talk for a minute now about the church, any true church, um, any healthy church, recognizes that we have we must maintain an unobstructed connection with our head, right? God ordained his son to be the head. 
We have to take our direction. We have to derive our strength from the one who is our head. I was looking back at our uh, philosophy of ministry statement, and um, under the, the heading of, you know, we, we exist to glorify God, the first guidepost and checkpoint along the way is that we believe in practicing the headship of Jesus Christ. Then after multiple aspects of development, we, we land at a certain resolution about this. And our statement there is, when we know the mind of Christ, we must submit to it. Even in the face of polls, surveys, popular opinions, pragmatic considerations. <clears throat> and brethren, if I was just talking about the church and our relationship to our head, every one of you would say, absolutely, Practice the headship of Christ when you know the mind of Christ, when a church knows the mind of Christ in the scripture, submit to it, even if there's all sorts of other opinions that are contrary. But under the inspiration of the Spirit, we have in the scripture this statement, like a good, healthy church does that, so a wife is to submit to their own husbands. That's the pattern. Everything you would think of as, that's a healthy church, that's an obedient church, that's a God-honoring church in relationship to Christ. Everything you think about that ideal is the ideal that God wants to see through a Christian wife. And the realm of that submission is, again, in verse 24, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. The realm of submission is everything. Now, I'm gonna, I want to pause here and say this is a place like several others in the Scripture where, <clears throat> right in the context, some of these all-inclusive statements have to be interpreted in the light of the rest of Scripture. So, we're told in Romans chapter 13 that we are to obey every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. All right, but we know from other scriptures that there are conditions in which men must obey God rather than man. Peter said so in the face of those telling him never to speak in the name of Jesus again. Right? If, if men forbid us speaking in the name of Jesus or they command disobedience to the law of God like Pharaoh did when he uh, told the midwives to murder all of the Hebrew children. Okay? Obedience to God has to take precedence over that of man. And there have been crossroads that some wives have faced of that kind of nature. All right? But while I'm raising that <clears throat> to say there may be a crossroads you face, far too often uh, wives have, have put anything that, that is just their opinion their strong opinion about something on the same plane as absolute matters of obedience or disobedience. And that is wrong even in the name of the Lord. So your opinions, even the ones that are biblically informed, okay, do not have the same gravity as thus saith the Lord. And God intends for you to arrange yourself under the leadership of your husband in everything. That's what he wrote. And it is really difficult to do that when wives are, are strongly compelled that their husband's decisions 
okay, are not rooted in the Bible. They are not rooted in particular in faith, but they are rooted in pragmatism. When, when a wife sees my husband is not trusting God about this, my husband is just, you know, being pragmatic, it is very difficult. In some cases, a wife may question, or there, it might not even be a question. It may be no doubt about it. Their husband is not saved. And, and, and we may pause to say, you know, that makes a big difference, doesn't it? I mean, my husband's not even saved, or my husband said he was, but I mean, I haven't seen him for however long. Open a Bible and read it. I don't think he's even listening to when you preach, Pastor. Am I really supposed to submit to him? Well, if you ever wonder what, what the stance of a wife ought to be, in terms of this instruction of Ephesians 5, when, when she maybe has an unsaved or clearly disobedient husband, 1 Peter 3 addresses that. I want us to go there. Look at 1 Peter 3 in your Bibles. Turn over there. <clears throat> and 1 Peter chapter 3, we're going to go to verse 1. And we're going to see, Likewise, ye wives... And then notice this, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any, now it's referring to the husband, if any husband obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. All right, so you can see why I said this answers it. Because this is talking about wives submitting to a husband that's not obeying the Bible. It's not obeying the word. But there is here a submission on the part of a wife that wins a disobedient husband. It actually uses that, right? Likewise, ye wives be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be what? Be one. By the conversation of the wives. So there, there's a kind of conduct that does that. Now, the word likewise, first word, tells us that the kind of submission under discussion can be compared okay, to what, what has been highlighted in chapter 2. In chapter 2, look at verse number 18. I'm just going to be able to drop in a couple places, but notice verse 18. <clears throat> Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the what? To the froward. And that's from a Greek word, from the Greek word scoliosis, all right? Or I'm, I'm saying it in our English. Um, scolios, I think, is Greek. We get the idea of scoliosis. So you think of, of a crooked or twisted spine, okay? It's inevitable that if you have a crooked master, okay, you're going to be the recipient of some kind of mistreatment. Verse 19 says, This is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. <clears throat> for what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? But if when you do well and suffer for it, okay, you should not suffer for doing right, but if you're under a, a, a corrupt master, it may be that way. And... <clears throat> if you take it patiently, notice the end of verse 
<coughs> 20, that is acceptable with God. Now, <coughs> um, that tells us, first of all, that the kind of deportment, whether you're talking about a crooked master or a husband who's not obeying the Bible, <coughs> the deportment that wins can be characterized by patient enduring. And <coughs> the challenge to respond that way is raised to an entirely new level by what, where Peter goes in the next verses. Beginning in verse 21, he uses the illustration of who? For even here unto were ye called because who? All right, think about Christ and his response to what? The suffering. And verse 22 is a loose quote of Isaiah 53, 9. Where we read, he did no violence, neither was deceit found in his mouth. So he did not respond <coughs> to his suffering with cruelty. He maintained purity in his speech. In verse 23, when, uh, when, when he was mistreated, he did not retaliate and he did not threaten. All right, now, chapter 3, verse 1. <coughs> Likewise, wives... If you have a disobedient husband who's not obeying the word, okay, I'll, I'll fill in chapter 2. Win him with a spirit that endures, if you have to, endure, endures wrongdoing meekly. Don't retaliate. Avoid verbal threats. That's the manner of, of the submission that wins. And alongside of that, as we look right here in verse 1, the submission that wins a husband is essentially nonverbal. <clears throat> and I know we're later in the message, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really challenge your mind, all right, now, and your attention. So see what you can do to shake some cobwebs out <clears throat> and maybe make marks in your Bible, um, because this, this is really important. It's really helpful. It's not just trying to be, you know, precise. It's really helpful. There's an emphasis in the Greek grammar, which is possible to miss in our English. Before the first occasion of the term word. Okay, would you look there? Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word. Okay, that first occasion, there is a definite article there. So, we have, if any obey not the word. And I'm talking about the, as the article. And the expression lends us to conclude that the word is the word of God. Everybody says that. Nobody's really questioning that. If any are not obeying, I'll just say this way. If any husband is not obeying the Bible, okay? But before the second word, so continue on. If any obey not the Bible, they may also without, and you see it again, the word. Okay, in the Greek text, there's no article there at all. All right, And for the sake of translation, an article needs to be added. Otherwise, it would read, and I'm just telling you where the words are, it would read, they may also without word be one. Okay? And if you just read without word, that, that doesn't sound like good grammar. So some have actually suggested without words, which is... is uh, keeping with the concept, but the, the word is actually singular, and so it's not plural. <coughs> All right. 
So the idea that, that we would get from that text is this. If any obey not the word, that is the Bible, they may also without a word. Or without any words. Be won by the conduct, the conversation or the conduct of the wives. Okay. Peter Peter is not saying that a husband is going to be one without the word of God. So you look at it and say, if any obey not the Bible, they may also be one without a Bible. <clears throat> okay, that's not what it's communicating. It is communicating, though, this, that, that a husband who is disobedient to the Bible may actually be one without a word from the wife. Okay. Now, that's not saying that a wife should never speak. Clearly, it's not communicating that. What, what it is saying is that a disobedient husband can be one. I'll, I'm going to use this word, which um, is hopefully not as inflammatory, but, but a, a, a disobedient husband can be one without his wife's preaching. Okay. Now, I know some of you wives can preach great messages. And, and some of you preach great messages to your children. And, and God will use them. But there is a caution about preaching to your husband. Okay? And, and now I'm going to use a word that is far less flattering. But we are just really trying to be helpful. I'm not trying to hurt. I'm trying to be helpful. But your disobedient husband can be one without your nagging. Okay. The submission that wins is essentially nonverbal. That's what the passage is communicating. And what it will be marked by is, is two particular characteristics in, in your conduct. Verse number two, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. Now, you're aware in the Victorian English, the word conversation referred to conduct, and the conduct is here noted, first of all, as chaste. That is, it is pure. Um, the conduct that wins does not stoop to acting loosely in, in, in moral arenas to secure your husband's favor. I wish I didn't have things that come to mind as I'm, as I'm communicating this. But the conduct that wins doesn't go to the bar in revealing attire and drink it up with your husband and his crowd in order to win him. It doesn't stoop to sitting down and watching pornography with him. Okay. This is where we have, these, we have these boundaries. And this is what I'm saying. All the scripture comes to bear here. And I, I, do, uh, I do know a lady that really thought that this is what she was going to have to do. She not only stopped coming to church, but told me of the things that she was doing in an attempt to win that husband. And I tried to point her to scripture like this 
she said, if I'm like that, he won't have anything to do with me. And I just tried to say, believe God, see what God will do. You don't know what God will do until, and, and she just kept pursuing. And honestly, her husband stayed with her until their last kid graduated. And then he bolted and he'd been having an affair all along. I didn't know that. But it doesn't have to stoop to something the Bible declares to be sin and debasing. Again, sometimes the pressure can get so strong on a wife that she thinks that will be necessary. But the Bible says that the conduct that wins is chaste. There is purity. And the conduct that wins will also be characterized. And we have here fear. And if you... Um, if you haven't marked it, just maybe every time you read it to stand out. You could even put Ephesians 5 and verse 33. This is the same word that is translated there as reverence. Okay, this isn't talking about living in, you know, paralyzing, you know, shaking fear of my husband. This is talking about conversation that is pure and communicates reverence. I mentioned in our series on mayors, those that were here with us on Sunday evenings um, a couple summers ago, I mentioned a, a story, but I think it bears repeating. It's so powerful in its impact. Um, it was all the way back in the 1970s that a Christian lady named Kay um, was, as she said, barely existing in her marriage. She was committed to keeping the marriage together because she knew it would have been sin not to and because the children would be horribly affected. But there was no joy, no real satisfaction in the marriage. Um, her husband, John, by his own admission later, agreeing with her statement, he went to church more for the social network than, than for any display of, of real spiritual hunger. He mostly ignored her needs at home. He treated her much like a servant in the home. And the most joy that she knew in her life was through her ministry as a leader of a Bible study fellowship group in, in the church. And it was a, she was a Bible study fellowship leader of a women's group in the church. And one particular highlight of her year was the annual leaders retreat that she attended. And as she came up to this year, she paid her fees. She had arranged for childcare uh, for the kids. And 24 hours before the retreat, her husband said that he had changed his mind, and he not only did not want her to go to the retreat, but he wanted her out of the leadership altogether. And that to her was, was like death. And this seemed to be the place where, line drawn in the sand, I'm putting my foot down. He's not going to let me go to that retreat. He's not going to let me teach a Bible study. That's it. I put up with a lot. But no more. It just happened to be in the providence of God that that night they were invited to go to a dinner with some friends. And those friends were hosting a, a special speaker. And at some point during the night, she actually cornered that visiting speaker thinking, well, I'm not talking about, you know, my husband to somebody that knows him. This is somebody from out of town. So she told the whole story. And she asked him, what, he could, what she could say to her husband to get her husband to change his mind. And to her amazement, 
That guest speaker said, Kay, your first responsibility is to seek the Lord, then your family, then a ministry, and I am not going to talk to you about a way to manipulate John to change his mind. If your husband told you to get out of the Bible study fellowship, then when you leave here tonight, tell him that you're getting out. And she was all fired up inside and could not believe what this man was telling her. But as the night wore on, um, she came to the conclusion that she was going to, by faith, honor God. And she decided, against all of her instincts and all of her emotions, to put her husband before that retreat. And, by God's grace, she continued to make um, choices that communicated honor to her husband and, and God, no matter how she felt. And several months later, they were together at a large Christian conference. And at the conclusion of the conference and a particular seminar, the speaker opened up the microphone for testimonies. And Kay was blown away <coughs> to see her husband John get up from his seat and step up to the microphone. And she was like, what is he going to say? And he stood up there and said, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know that I'm here tonight because my wife, 1 Peter, 3'd me into coming. Basically, I'm here tonight because my wife has worn me out with her love. Watching the reality of this woman's love for God is the reason I'm standing up here tonight. And that was a significant point, a turning point in John's life. And in a, in a short amount of time, he was growing so dramatically that he became a men's Bible study fellowship leader in their church. And he had the opportunity to go on his very first retreat. He had never been to that um, she wrote that he was like a young boy going off to camp for the first time, and <clears throat> they actually kind of enjoyed that. But when she dropped him off to get on the bus and then drove away, her emotions just erupted. She was thankful for all the changes in her husband, but, but the hurt of her being denied a retreat only to watch him go off to his own just brought much pain to her heart and, and many tears. And she uh, returned home uh, still in, in that kind of state when, when the phone rang. And John and the bus that he was on had stopped to pick up some other men. And I told you the date, but this is before cell phones. Okay? <clears throat> and when they stopped, John rushed to the nearest payphone and he called home. And with his voice choking back his emotions, he said, Kay, I've been thinking back to when I told you you couldn't go on the retreat. Could you forgive me for asking you to give up something I knew was really important to you? I'm sorry I asked you to step down from that leadership group. I should have never asked what I did. I never will again. Can you find it in your heart to forgive me? And Kay said that she attended many retreats in the years to come 
but she never attended one as significant, she said, as the one she missed. The retreat she didn't go to was actually the most important retreat of her whole married life. And later she testified, I gave up a retreat, but I gained a husband. And, and ladies, the most effective way to open the door to needed changes in a relationship is to demonstrate honor. And I'm, again, not just talking about doing that with some kind of nobility, of, of, you know, just on a sheer feminine level. I'm not talking about doing this just even for the sake of of your marriage, but I am talking about doing this for the sake of the advancement of the work of God in you, in your husband, to others that are watching for the glory of God. And a pastor in 1973 <clears throat> wrapped up a message um, to women from this context. And again, it's going back to that same kind of time frame, but he said the basic problem in the world today is the problem of authority. The chaos in the world is due to the fact that people in every realm have lost respect for authority. <clears throat> whether it be nations or between parts of nations, whether it be in industry, whether it be in the home, <clears throat> whether it be in schools or anywhere else, the loss of authority. And in my view, it all really starts in the home and in the marriage. And Brethren, if he's right, and I think he's on a scriptural foundation, then, then you wives have a unique opportunity to radiate the glory of God's grace by walking in faith and obedience in this arena. And if you come down to... Uh, verse number five, and I, I don't have the time to follow the rest of this flow, but after pointing to some other characteristics of, of the kind of conversation, the conduct that wins, notice this, for after this manner, in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in, I know it's simple, but say the next word, hopefully you're with me, holy women of old who trusted in who? Who trusted in God. It's not even a matter of trusting in your husband. And if you have a husband that you trust and, and have uh, a great deal of confidence in, thank God for that. But it doesn't matter who that husband is. Men are men. And at some point, there's going to be significant disappointment. This isn't even saying trust in that husband because he's, he's, he's faulty, <laughs> But this is saying trust in the God who gave you that husband and knows everything about that husband and trust God to work through that husband. And when you do that, it'll radiate the glory of God and show the work of the Spirit of God as real and powerful in your life. Would you bow your heads and, and close your eyes and 